You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello there. Before we get stuck into the show, I would like to dedicate this episode of the Comedian's Comedian podcast to the memory of Stuart Hudson, a wonderful man, an artistic spirit, a very funny comedian and someone who sadly passed away a couple of days ago. Um, I gigged with him several times. We had some very funny car journeys together. And uh, there's a lovely thing on Facebook where someone broke the news of his passing to, to many of us in the comedy community. And he was a brilliant one-liner comedian, very dark one-liners, but with a real twinkle in his eye. And people have started quoting on this Facebook thread all the different jokes, uh, all their favourite jokes that they sort of say to each other uh, to remember him. My particular favourite was, I've taken up masturbating. Well, it gets me out of the house. What a lovely man. He'll be very greatly missed. And uh, my thoughts and feelings go out to uh, all of those of us that were close to him. So this episode is dedicated to Stu Hudson. Thanks. On with the show. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. Today I'm talking to Rachel Paris, who's an absolutely fantastic comic improviser, a very funny stand-up comedian and writer of comedy songs, uh, and also improvises with the the group Ostentatious, with whom you'll be familiar. If not now, then you will by the end of uh, this interview. Before we go into it, just a reminder, you can still get tickets at SohoTheatre.com for the new Soho run of live shows, which will uh, continue, in fact, with Paul Chowdhury on the 20th of February, Jeremy Hardy on the 8th of May, and Joe Brand on the 5th of June. There are still tickets available for the Paul Chowdhury one. That's coming up very soon, so jump on that. That should be a lot of fun as uh, we find out what is happening white people with Mr Chowdhury. I can't wait. He's an electrifying live act, and uh, I've been revising his work, as I have two huge guests who are coming on the podcast soon. A couple of you worked out who they were on the Facebook group and uh, started muttering to yourselves, but I've I've since clamped down on that, uh, and they remain, for now at least, top secret. I am about to go on tour. I'll tell you more about that um, at the uh, at the end of the show. I mean, you know I'm going on tour anyway, but I'm literally sitting in my car outside the first tour venue, the Joker Comedy Club in Southend. Uh, and so if you can hear any traffic and rain noise, that's because I'm sat uh, recording this in my car. More on that later with some of the towns I'm visiting. Now, it's Rachel Paris. <laughs> Let's start with something we'll probably throw away. How did you find doing that mother and baby gig that we just did moments ago? Uh, I, I found it really fun. It was quite nice having my one of my best friends there because you feel like you've got someone on side. <laughs> well, one and a half people because her and her baby were there. 
Um, it's hard. It's quite a hard gig, isn't it? In a way, because everyone's completely distracted by their baby. Like you're definitely of all the gigs that you do, you're definitely not the most interesting thing in the room. Yes, to everyone. To everyone. everyone like every single thing. member of the audience is more interested in someone else who's closer to them than they yes, are in you. and who has no social graces <laughs> exactly. whatsoever. Yeah. So did you do anything kind of to prepare for it or to ready yourself for it? Or is there any kind of like, what's your sort of gig report of what just happened? I did. How well did you feel? Well, I've done that. I've done that gig twice in the last okay. fortnight. Oh, I see. Okay, <laughs> to the venue. Right. So you that was my... beforehand, you're a ringer. <laughs> so that was my preparation. Um, I found... They, they actually... Um, Carly Smallman and Elisa were very good at like prepping me for it the first time I did it and they said just be aware that the mums don't hear the screams so don't mention the screams they don't want to talk mm. about that um, and also don't be offended if people are distracted so that was quite good to know oh and they said because everyone's really tired and their babies are crying um, jokes that normally might be a bit subtle uh, and dry and sort of like ironic uh, might not land so they said label your jokes like to high heaven even say them twice okay and so i did like my gym song which is about someone showing off that they go to the gym and it only works if you're like um <laughs> if you get that it's ironic and it's taking the piss out of those people yes because if it isn't it's just if it isn't, singing it's, about how great you how are great you are gym. exactly yeah so with that one i took their advice and i was like this is from the persona of a real dickhead who's showing off. You literally <laughs> said that. Yes. I missed that bit. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> like a previous, like the one last week. So um, I think that works better. Whereas I have, I've had it before in other circumstances, actually with the gym one and with I'm amazing as well, that I suppose are a similar vibe that if you don't listen to the setup, then you just get people staring at you thinking, God, she thinks a lot of herself, doesn't she? <laughs> and you're like, no, it's the opposite. It's well, the opposite. Let's, let's start with those two songs then, because both of them I've heard this morning. I've yeah. heard I'm Amazing before. And yeah. I love it. It's such a good song. Oh, tell, tell us about the song. Okay. I'm Amazing is uh, a sort of X Factor style, uh, big ballad song. Um, and it's sort of supposed to be in the vein of those songs that people like Shane Ward did that are about following your dreams and reaching your goals and believing in yourself and finding strength from within but instead of it saying that it just keeps saying I'm amazing I'm absolutely amazing it's like the subtext of those songs it's the subtext of those songs exactly yeah Um, so I Oh my god! You, were you there the night I first ever did it at an experimental night? Ah, I and remember the, it very vividly. You're okay. the reason that I kept doing it. Do you remember it was? Oh well, this has worked out very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I only just remembered that as we were talking. So um, it was a, a night with Ben Tarje and Nish Kumar and uh, a few of the Weirdos comedy group years where, and years where, ago. Where was it? it was in. Um, uh, Shoreditch, uh, the Queen, of, Queen of Hoxton. Yes, okay, I know it, yep. Uh, and it was a weird sort of like character night where they ask you to prepare special material in a character, and I was supposed to be playing, they gave you the character in advance, and I was supposed yes, to be playing... it wasn't underground, it was dingy, but I've got it now. Dingy, yep. it was very dingy, <laughs> it was very dingy. And I was supposed to be playing someone who had won a, uh, uh, like a sort of... Um, Glenn Close style, like a uh, big Hollywood uh, singer-songwriter who'd won an award for it, and but in the future. And so I wrote I'm Amazing in character for that night and I was going to just throw it away afterwards. But you remember you spoke, you were at that night and you said, I love that amazing song, you should do that again. And I was like, I don't think I can do it anywhere except this night because it's for this character. Sure. Um, but I did and it turns out it sort of works well I'm really going to have to work hard to point out that I didn't set that up thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you for mentioning that um, but uh, 
I, I remember it's one of the songs I first think of whenever I think of you I think of that song and I think of the one that I just mentioned as well with, about cups of tea oh yeah little, I mean I'm not going to murder it What's the, blue, the blues song it's like a parody of can the blues can you give us a snatch of the oh yeah so it's like woke up on a Monday and I'm feeling kind of blow I've been crying I've been crying over you and then it goes like because it's, it's like about you know the blues really big problems but it's like I have a cup of lab sang song and a little bit of lemon on the side um, <laughs> so it's yeah it's sort of this take of the blues I feel a bit bad because I think the blues is a very important art form <laughs> well we will come back to the idea of mocking something that you love because yeah. I think I mean you clearly love mm. singing and music I do you you I suppose that's kind of what's almost the mark of a good parody is when it's done with love. I always think of, I don't know if you've ever seen Galaxy Quest. Yes. Such a great movie. I'm really glad you have, otherwise it's such a dud reference. Oh my God, yeah, I love it. But like they're taking the piss out of Star Trek. Let me just check, this is the right, I always get them all mixed. This is one with like Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman, Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen. Yeah, Tim the Tall Man Taylor. Yeah, 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 that's the guy. Yeah. So... Uh, yes, like it's 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 a parody, but it absolutely isn't just taking the piss. It's yeah. clearly written by people who love the source material. Of course, so yeah. we'll, we'll we'll come back to that. But just to stay with, I'm amazing. The the lyrics. I'm really interested that you wrote that in character because listening again this morning, some of the lyrics are so hopelessly badly written brilliantly <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean like yeah. sometimes the rain is thick and long is that yeah. one of the yeah it's like sometimes the rain is really big <laughs> and the world is long and thick yeah and, yeah, it. yeah so talk to me about that is that would you is that unusual among your songs in that you wrote that one in character or is that something that you would ordinarily do I think it you know yeah it probably is quite unusual um I'm just trying to think now. I'm just going through my my catalogue, my catalogue of songs. Uh, It's not very big. It's like a page. It's like with three songs on it. Um, So yeah, it probably is quite unusual. And it's really fun to do those um, uh, like shit lyrics, basically, like deliberately shit lyrics. They're the lyrics that a lot of comedy nights get missed because people hear the I'm Amazing chorus. But um, that's the thing with lyrics like that in those actual songs like that Shane Ward does I don't know why I'm picking on Shane Ward there's lots of people who do them um, that you don't notice how shit they are because they just blend in with the general vibe of like yes. you know sometimes the, the road is, so... is really long and your heart is bursting and all this and the music is what takes you, you like the high production value is what you know is what you hear but um, yeah when I'm gigging people hardly ever notice those little bits in between like the rain being big and stuff like that but they're my favourite <laughs> my favourite bits <laughs> There's something, I think we already touched on it and I, it's kind of pinged then in my head, something about the difference between material that makes you laugh and material upon which you can rely. Yeah, when you were talking about the, the baby gig and sort of really telegraphing, this next thing is about, like you're giving, the, yeah. the delicious thing about I'm amazing is the subtext. Of course. And the delicious thing about the... Um, the gym one. The gym song is the subject. So the, just, to, just to fill us in on the gym song. Oh, so the gym song is uh, sort of, about those people who um, people who uh, want to talk to you about the things they've done that they're very proud of but it's actually really annoying because they go on and on about it. so it's about someone who just reminds you constantly that they've been to the gym and they say that they've been to the gym like seven times in a sentence um, and like you say really the song the joke of the song is that this person is talking about it so much but if you don't get the subtext of it, it I just sound like an asshole <laughs> showing off that I've been to the gym. It's really interesting that as a musical comedian, you have the option 
to to do exactly that to say this next song is written from the perspective of an arsehole yeah like even if it's in a particular type of gig yeah. where you'd like it's not something you'd normally do at a gig no but it's quite interesting the way that shifts the meaning of the bit because i would suspect certainly for me listening to i'm amazing once i've laughed at the basic premise yeah. and the last line which is brilliant and i won't spoil <laughs> but you can buy it on Bandcamp. so yep. I sort of there. um but once you get the joke what there is to go back to that song to listen to it again is the lyrics and and the subtlety of the lyrics and it's quite interesting i'm just thinking i can't do a bit of material and beforehand say this next bit of material is i'm, I'm likening parenthood to dying do you know what i mean and just so just so we're on board with that i had a bit a couple of years ago about the, the phrase plenty more fish in the sea yeah and it would have been so useful at some gigs to just say when i say fish i mean potential partners right do you know what yeah. i mean and then yeah. and now let's follow the metaphor yeah and um, but it's i just want to i don't know quite what the question is but i'm just sort of asking about that the difference between the material your favorite bits of your material and how hard you need to push down on the accelerator to sell it in certain environments i find that i think people listen to talking very different differently to how they listen to music um, which is why, like, it's not just mother and baby gigs that I do that flagging up. Like, I do it as well. Like, I do a few, like, cabaret circus nights where every, the room is very loud. And, you know, they basically, in those circumstances, they only start listening when you start singing. Um, and so... I know what you mean. Like, I, it, at a very sort of like comedy savvy night when people are really focused on stage and really, really listening and everything and that are used to comedic material, if you like, then I could do that in a more subtle way. And that's the way I like to perform it is just let them discover the joke. I like, like the gym song. Um, it's fun that it only gets funnier after the first like 10 times I've said the word gym. I think yes. I say it about 27 times in the song. Um, and then it gets funny, hopefully funnier and funnier. But I think it sometimes works better, yeah, to just make it really super clear that this is this is what the joke you're about to hear. <laughs> People still enjoy it. It depends on the audience, but... So there are... I mean, I guess... No, I was going to say there are two strings to your bow. There are very many strings to your bow because we'll talk about improv stuff and ostentatious oh, yeah. and all that stuff as well. But um, just staying with your kind of solo work there's the songs and there's the talking in between yeah so which do you find most satisfying and at what point of the life of those material those bits of material so uh, when i first started doing comedy um i'd only done improv first of all and then uh i thought uh i wanted to give comedy a go because a lot a lot of my friends in improv like carly smallman who i started off with improv with and rob broderick and ben vanderveld and robin clivan and um, they all started doing solo stuff and I sort of thought I might give it a go. There was something in me that thought, I think I've got some funny songs. Like, I've always written songs since I was little. Um, and m some of them were a bit funny. Um, and at the time, i just, just moved to London and I was performing at some, like, very earnest singer-songwriter evenings. Um, my earnest kind of, you know, piano you were, band. It wasn't just stage time. It was like you were, like, you were an I was singer-songwriter. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and... I was trying to be an earnest singer-songwriter, but people, actually, the lyrics came out quite funny and I found it easier to write sort of in a slightly funny way. Does that mean there was a sort of pivotal moment where you bared your soul, everyone laughed, and you went, oh, bollocks, I'm a comedian? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, do you remember? Pretty well, much. let's talk about that moment. What was that moment so of I've change? So I've got, like, I've got... Um, I've got, a, like, a couple of songs I would never perform. They're not... Ugh, there's a difference between, like pop songs that are a little bit funny and comedy songs 
that are, you know, written to make people actually laugh out loud. And so I've got like a couple of pop songs that I used to perform in the clubs. In the clubs, listen to me. <laughs> Round the clubs, you know, um, that I used to perform. Uh, and one of which is like... Um, don't ask to be friends uh, and it's like a kind of jaunty little jazz number about like don't ask to be friends don't ask for forgiveness don't ask me to be the better man I don't know how and then it just starts sort of slagging off <laughs> my ex um, not not a real one and um, that one is I suppose it's quite funny um, and my friends came to see it but I'd never thought of it as a funny song I just thought of it as quirky and people laughed out loud at it um, and that made me think I could probably have the capacity to write actually funny songs. Um, so the first gig I sort of tricked myself into, I was at the um, in Clerkenwell talking to a few comedy people and this woman said, uh, I, I'm a promoter and I'm, she mentioned that she was organising a cabaret type night and she said, I'm just looking for a um, comedian or a comedy you know, singer. And I just said... Oh, I am a comedian. Very <laughs> I just, good. I just lied. <laughs> I just lied. Um, and she said, "Really?" And she completely believed me. Uh, why? Why would? Because why would I lie? Yeah. <laughs> um, why would someone do that? Why would someone do that? <laughs> and she said, "Oh." And she gave me twenty minutes for my first ever gig, um, which is quite hefty. And it was del- it was the best first gig for me that I think that I could have done. Um, it was in. East London in this weird little room full of antique furniture and it was all kind of European avant-garde artists in the audience and there was a painter in the corner and I and there was a, someone doing weird drama in a cupboard in the other side of the room and it was really cute and I brought friends along and I was playing on this antique little piano and I just did three songs one of which was a parody uh, two of which were new and two poems okay. and I had zero banter when you say a parody do you mean it was like a, an existing song and you changed the lyrics yeah exactly okay. yeah um, bassist kind of parody yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I did that and it went it went really well but I look back and it's really strange because I didn't I had never done stand up and I didn't do stand up then I just sort of was like now I'm going to do a poem <laughs> now I'm going to do a song <laughs> hope you enjoy it and this I never thought I'd be able to do stand up um and I would say for the first sort of year I didn't have I had a couple of little jokes just to introduce the songs and a couple of little jokes to tail away from the songs but it's only really like it, it took me quite a few years to get the confidence to do stand-up and now now that's kind of equal in terms of what I enjoy doing and I'll go and not do any songs at a gig sometimes I'll just do you know 15-20 minutes of stand-up which is quite a big turnaround from how I started out do you always have the uh, the mp3 with you in yes. case you get there um quite often but I've I've tried to train myself not to great and it does actually at the same time when so I always used to perform the first like couple of years I always was at a keyboard always always and for me um the piano is such a comfort it's like a comfort blanket and I don't feel any at all nervous like whatever kind of performing I'm doing if I'm at the piano keyboard in front of me and I'm singing that's fine and I don't feel nervous as soon as I'm sitting there doing that or standing doing that and then when I started performing with backing tracks, uh, when I started doing like character stuff for Live in Vegas, I needed to move around in character. So I recorded these backing tracks. And at first it was, oh, it th- th- sent shivers through me, the fact that there was, it wasn't an instrument. Um, and it was that same kind of feeling of, I just had to be strict with myself and just be like, no, you've got no instrument. It's just you and a microphone and music will happen and that'll be fine. And the same thing 
when I just started doing just straight stand-up, it was like, don't take the music, just force yourself. And I still find it a bit scary. Um, it still feel I still have to fight that instinct that everything is leading up to a song. That's interesting. Okay. There's such a difference between having a freestanding 10-minute routine about something um, but for me, like my comfort is it's a 10 minute routine, but it justifies itself by the fact that it ends on a song. Of course. I, that's one of those things I'm not going to be able to not see. Yeah. Now. When I see people <laughs> yeah. doing musical comedy, I'm like, this is a good bit, but, but is it going somewhere? Exactly. Like, and, and yeah, that is the place. Is it, a, is it a runway? And the fact that it's leading to a song, because you have like, well, I don't know, but I, I, the bit that I am most confident in as a comedian, as a performer is, um, my songs my, the singing and the performing and the quality of the song um as a as a musical thing more than as a comedic thing so i sort of think well even if they don't laugh they'll probably like my voice hopefully yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. and so the confidence that if you know you're going to do a nice song at the end of your set it imbues everything you say beforehand with um, a sort of confidence you're like well I'm leading up to the thing which will definitely please people at the end and if you're not doing that the first time I started not doing the songs that was really scary I just had no confidence in it at all (laughs) and I even would like reference like I normally do a song I normally do a song (laughs) (laughs) which is awful (laughs) yeah yeah as if they give a shit So this is Rachel, a delight to talk to, a very, very funny lady, and uh, a really fascinating backstory, really, a a really fascinating perspective on comedy. I think you'd really enjoy her stuff, so do get along and see her live whenever you can. Uh, And I tell you when you can, she's doing a Soho theatre run from the 6th to the 8th of March with her show Best Laid Plans, which is the one we're we're mostly discussing in this uh, conversation. So do that, get your homework done, and uh, and you can appreciate this episode all the more. Speaking of Soho theatre, of course, Paul Chowdhury is the next Soho live show on the 20th of February. So more from Rachel in just a second. Um, obviously, I'm on tour at the moment, and as I said, I'm sitting in my car outside the Joker Comedy Club in Southend uh, about to go and do the very first show. I've been revising the show. There's something I never thought I'd do. Of course, it's been a while since Edinburgh, so I've been listening back to recordings that I made of the show, reminding myself of just how all the little the little trills, the little, uh, you know, the big chunks of it, of course, I remember. Let's hope. But uh, the little bits and bobs, uh, the way they fit together, the certain things that were sort of worked up during Edinburgh... And annoyingly, the recording I've been mostly listening to, I can't find the one from later in the Edinburgh run, so it's from quite early doors. What a lovely opportunity to discover the show all over again. Thank you to everyone that's bought a ticket so far. I mean, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of you, and that's really exciting to hear. Um, if you fancy coming along, then I'm going to be at Dave's Leicester Comedy Festival this coming Saturday, doing a work in progress. Uh, and indeed, uh, later that evening, I'll be doing the tour show at the Criterion. Those are both pay what you want. The day before that, in fact, on Friday the 10th of February, I'm going to be in Canterbury. And uh, then after I do my uh, tour supports for Mr Whitehall at Wembley Bloody Arena, uh, then the tour goes on the 18th of February to Crawley and the 19th of February to the Comedia in Brighton. The 21st, I'll be at Excess Malarkey in Manchester. Can't wait for that one. Uh, the 23rd, 4th and 5th, I'm at the Glasgow Stand. That's not a tour show. That's just me doing uh, some stand-up with a, a, an excellent line-up there, I'm sure. Um, the 26th of February... 
February. I'll be in Dublin at Whelan's. I've never done my own show in Dublin before. I've gigged at the Laughter Lounge and I've gigged at the International. I had a great time there. Huge fan of Dublin and Dublin audiences. If you are in that part of the world, please come along to Whelan's on the 26th of February. And then the next few are, and I'll just wiggle down the list here, Exeter on Wednesday the 1st of March, Bath on Thursday the 2nd of March, Harrogate on the 4th, Birmingham Glee Club on the 5th that should be a lot of fun uh, and Fruit in Hull on the 6th I love the way the venue Fruit is just called Fruit there's no like Fruit Theatre or anything it's just Fruit Hull Monday the 6th of March and then that I mean there's more Shrewsbury on the 9th I'll just go up until the, the until I disappear from Melbourne um, Bristol at the Hen and Chicken on the, the comedy box at the Hen and Chicken on the 10th of March and then uh, Glasgow on the 13th of March Newcastle 14th Darlington 15th Leeds 16th and then I go to Melbourne so there is no excuse not to come along if you're near one of those places do come and check out the stand-up stuff especially if you enjoyed the, uh, the little free gift over Christmas why not come and see some entirely different material live thanks to all your donations I've had some fabulous uh, emails from you as well from uh, I'm glad to say that the, the ranks of people who this show has given a nudge to start doing stand-up have, have swelled by two or three people in the last few days I don't think that's becoming exponential but if it is maybe I, I am gradually destroying comedy <laughs> the industry element of it at least um, and thank you to those people who have told me they've got some very interesting jobs out there. We now uh, hold amongst our listenership a hostage negotiator, uh, an undercover policeman, more than one undercover policeman there everywhere, um, and a, an ambulance person as well. So uh, thank you to those guys who've got in touch. I shall keep your identity secret. These ambulance guys, uh, they're very, uh, they like to skulk. They don't, like to, they don't like people to know who they are. They're too humble. So um, uh, thank you. If you want to get in touch, if you'd like to support the show with a donation please do that at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate you can set up a recurring payment of for example two quid a month other options are available or if you really feel that this show has made a big difference to your life if you would like to uh, signal that to me in a financial way then you can give me a one-off donation of however much you'd like if you're a student or someone uh, who doesn't have a lot of money that's absolutely fine but remember if you are someone who can afford to make a donation for the show you pay for those people that can't and i think that's a really fair system so i'm really happy to uh, to be using Using that at the moment and crowdsourcing like a good one. On which subject, quite an exciting, I've had an exciting idea and I've had two or three people go, you should definitely do that. And I've just had one person go, you should definitely not do that. And here's why. More on that later when I've decided. I know that's aggravating, isn't it? It's like someone saying, hey, there's a thing to, oh no, never mind. But it's just on my mind at the moment. Let's get back to Rachel Paris uh, and find out a little bit more from her. I'll chat to you more in a bit. Talk to me about... You said the word nice there. Yeah. Talk to me about nice. Okay. <laughs> what is... What, I can't remember exactly the context you used because I was too busy thinking, ah, that's a good... That's an interesting word in the context yeah. of you. Yeah. Do you get this as well? Tell just... me what you get. We'll discuss me on your podcast. <laughs> we'll discuss um, me in a minute. Sorry. But go on. Um, I, I realise that isn't a question. That's probably the no, least I, question. No, I've just you said know. nice question mark. Go on then. You know what I'm going to say. So, yeah, I... I have found it can all it's really interesting Tom Goodliffe put up a Facebook thread about this recently about how timeout describes you in one word yeah. or did when it had comedy listings and my word was often likable friendly nice <laughs> they like that kind of thing and I think um I don't know I, I th- it, they're not negative words. They're not negative words, but it's the words that they don't say, like <laughs> hilarious. Powerhouse. Powerhouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Confident. Um, so I think I do, um, 
people think of me as quite nice and I think I my manner can come across as quite nice um but actually if if anything um I kind of I think I undercut that in my comedy um right from the beginning really I think that was the thing was I'll be doing the parody I did in my first ever comedy gig is you know it's a I've got a a pleasant voice it's not a powerful voice but it's a pleasant voice and I play the piano like a nice girl and you know (laughs) you know I'm not I don't know I seem I seem against for for all sorts of reasons I'm not but I seem to come across as like a nice girl Uh, for the listeners at home I'm doing inverted commas um that was very nice of you to point out. Thank you. <laughs> um, but actually, hopefully, I, I think I'm sort of not being that nice and kind of trying to go to darker places and kind of undercut things. And Yes, you, I sort of think of you in the same, sort of towards the same sort of pole as uh, the Beautiful South. Who oh. do kind of like... You know, yeah. like all of my favourite Beautiful South songs are beautiful, lovely, twinkly ballads. And you yeah. listen and you're like, Jesus, yeah. that's really it's kind of painfully honest yeah. about stuff. But actually, my relationship with Nice, <laughs> if you will, has changed a lot in the last... So I've, been, um, I've been doing comedy about seven years. And like the first um, solo show I did, The Commission, yes. I, really, I really didn't like the idea of just being myself and polite and nice and everything. And... Um, Sorry, that before you did that show or after? Well, even including that? that show, I kind of had this character. I was sort of myself, but I kind of had this character that was like uh, an alcoholic and like like drug addled and really like messed up um, and a little bit sort of even like um, a sociopath kind of thing. Like they're all the, the random like references that made me a bit darker and everything, which. I think worked okay at the time, but I think I was relying on them as for shock for shock value. Um, but actually, by now, like the last the last few years, I've kind of got more on board with the fact that <laughs> I don't know how to say this. I sound like a prick, but that people um, people like that I'm friendly, and actually, it makes them listen. And I I don't most of the time it it's nicer than people hating you um and a lot of like the reviews that i got um initially i hated people saying that you know she's a warm likable presence i remember i got one from like corrie shaw in chortle and it was actually a lovely review and it's proven to be true because those comments haven't gone away no matter what i've tried to do (laughs) to be like you know a sort of no i'm a kick-ass motherfucker (laughs) you know um and i'm not i'm not um and so there's something in sort of like in coming across as nice actually that, that probably helps and i've given in i've sort of given into it that's interesting yes having having kind of kicked and screamed against it yeah. and and i suppose well i mean in terms there's different ways to kick and scream against it aren't there because what you've described there is that you tried to kind of contrive things that you thought a nastier yeah. act might say yeah. gags that you thought yeah. were someone else's voice I, I mean is there do you think a level of you underneath the sort of the niceness that could be like an honest way of being like truthfully a bit darker well i think uh yeah i think i'm just hitting that now sort of these days uh with like the last show i did best laid plans is kind of it really is just me um and it's it's sort of performed 
in the spirit in which I'm talking to you, just talking to you now, like just kind of in quite a natural way. But um, the the subjects I'm talking about, about like sex and about having children and about weddings, um, I'm quite acerbic and uh, possibly offensive <laughs> about things like that. And that is how I feel. Yes. And I found I, I found that show less acerbic and more... It was very kind of re- revelatory. It was very candid. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting. You, If we can talk about the content of yeah. the show. Um, like you were talking... It's very difficult for me to talk about this as a man. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's some stuff about you having difficulty being able to reach an orgasm. Yeah. And I remember being really listening to that on the train. I was properly kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't expect this from Paris. You know? <laughs> what? I'm on the 95 bus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chill but, out, you know, Paris. But it was really... But I, I don't know that it was acerbic material, but it was definitely confronting. No, I think my stuff about weddings is quite possibly yes, acerbic. Yeah, yeah. In, f- in fact, I did... <laughs> but Because uh, um, I've been to, like, a lot of weddings. Um, statistically, I've discovered an unusual number of weddings. Do you know, I, because I happen to be planning a wedding myself at the moment, I really, your joke about, uh, I often get asked to play the piano. Yes. <laughs> it suddenly made yes. me thought, oh God, who am I relying yeah. upon for things that they always get relied upon? <laughs> and I've had to, I had to like cut out certain lines because certain friends came to see the show who I was literally talking about them. That's um, funny. Well, but again, that that's quite revealing as well in that you cut those things out so as not to rock the boat I know it is interesting isn't it but the thing is like I do feel that way but at the same time so I have occasionally done that I remember doing a gig um sorry I'm sort of going off on tangents but um I did a gig in, in Leicester and I, I used to do uh, this is years ago it was the commission as well and the odd line about I think I can't remember it was, oh it was a song that was a really, really short little song. It's like, um, I held you in my arms forever. Remember when I bought your flowers? Something, something. And now you're dead. And it's really yeah. short and it got an easy laugh. Um, and I was, uh, this kind of, I remember like just doing jokes about like sudden death. Thought that was quite funny at the time. And I think a lot of young comedians, new comedians, I mean, do it. Um, but there was something, there was a line that I used to say about that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but my friend, who has been horribly bereaved in her life, um, came to see the show. And I was like, why would I put her through? <laughs> I know that's going to upset her. So I cut it out. And I know what people say. I know they say, you know, you don't know who's in your audience anyway. You know, there might be any night of the week, there might be someone who finds that offensive. And I know that's true. But if I know for a fact, one of my best friends, <laughs> if I know that, then I'm not going to upset her deliberately. But I, you know, you can't help it the rest of the time. Um, anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> um, we were talking about the about whether or not there is a darker kind of thing oh, yeah. under you. Because, well, let's talk about some of the other content of, of Best Laid Plans, yeah. which was um, some of the stuff you talk about, letters that you wrote back and forth yeah, to the, the Samaritans. Samaritans. Yeah. So how true? What, how much of that was true? The, uh, a lot of it. Uh, so I so wrote, you, were, you, were, you were emailing rather than... Emailing them, yeah. So that's I had... That's itself. I mean, that's very good. <laughs> I, um, I don't want to bother you yeah. when, when you've got a moment. <laughs> well, um yeah so this was like last year and I was just feeling uh really sad uh it's interesting that show's kind of been a bit hijacked by the press and taken up as a mantle for depression and I don't know that I I certainly don't use the word depression in the show because I have a lot of friends with like clinical depression and I I don't know enough about it to say what it was I just say I was really really sad and it wouldn't go away um and so 
there was this one night which was a really shit night and I got home and it was late <laughs> I suppose it felt too late to call them um, it was like midnight and I oh they knock off at nine <laughs> <laughs> they've clocked out yeah. um and I and I say in the show, you know, I've got fr- I've got very good friends who would and did listen to me, you know, during that time. But there's something there's I don't know a particular feeling that you might have where you just want to talk to someone who doesn't know you. Um, and so that was perfect for that. And I, I just googled. I didn't know if you could email them or not, but I googled them, and they're like, yes, you know, you can. And there's the email address there, so I emailed them. Uh, and I think there's just something in just telling someone that you're not okay just typing the words I am not coping and this is all in the show so that's all true so the first letter that I wrote to them was uh, (laughs) on the one hand very simple and like serious and like I'm not coping I don't feel like I know what I'm doing with my life and all of that and on the other hand absolutely ridiculous and I really did you know I had no intention of using it in a comedy show but looking back I sound like such a tit Um, and they wrote back uh, and that's in the show and I wrote again to them and that's in the show and then uh, the following letters are not real. Okay. Yeah. But the, so the ones that are real, are they completely real or have you embroidered them Pretty, uh, for jokes? I might have changed the odd word, but yeah, pretty much word for word, okay. yeah. And how does that feel to be um, sharing something so intimate? Was it? Did, was there a cathartic quality to it? The first few times I talked about it, uh, in previews because this show um, I'd written an entire hour that I'd been previewing for six months before uh, I had before I sort of went through a breakup which is caused me to write to the Samaritans so this show was a completely different show um, which I thought I was so well prepared for Edinburgh <laughs> and then I broke up with someone and it sort of changed um, so um, the first times I sort of talked about this in the show was very nerve-wracking and I, the main thing that was nerve-wracking was that it felt a bit self-indulgent to talk about it. I think I quite often feel like that in comedy. But I think that's quite a big worry, is that, is this for me? Because <laughs> I probably am getting something out of this. Um, and is this actually, yeah, 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 therapeutically. And is this actually interesting or not? Um, and then I was... I've had a sort of um, director who was watching um, John Luke Roberts and he was he was like that Samaritans bit that you did which I hadn't really told him that I was going to do he was like that's that's more interesting than a lot of the other stuff that you're doing <laughs> um, so don't like shy, don't make it a five minute segment you know don't make it a throwaway thing like talk about talk more about that so um <laughs> When you say, I don't think I realised, a lot of people have asked me like about sharing what is something quite intimate. I don't think I realised that, I think (laughs) when I wrote to the Samaritans, I sort of assumed like quite a lot of people did, (laughs) had, had done, but actually turns out not that many people have. Um, So it was nerve wracking the first few times I did it, but um, now it it kind of, it it feels like a show, you know, because I've been performing it for a year, so. Yes. And I mean, the, not to give away the ending of the show, but it's a much more hopeful message yeah. by the end of the show. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you think the that doing the show had an effect on your happiness, or was it that your your you were kind of were you kind of revealing a thing you'd gone through but were now out of, or were you revealing a thing you were still undergoing? Uh, the course, the course of the show from like previews 
which was about three or four months, and then Edinburgh every day, and then a few more, and then now I'm taking it on tour now, <laughs> so it's a long time. Um, the first few times I did it, and I think into Edinburgh, uh, I was still... I don't want to say recovering. So, like, oh. you're allowed to say you're recovering. <laughs> um, I, I feel like you're, you're. I, I might be wrong, but I feel like you're sort of being hazy around it because, out of respect for people with worse problems. Yeah. But let's just talk it's, about your problem. Okay. Okay. Don't feel you have to say that. I think we've we've covered that enough. We've now. covered that. No one's going to be listening to this tearing their hair out. Going, yeah. Oh, I've got real problems. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's the problem, and I think I say in the show. I actually, this is a huge part of like my comedy and, and what I feel comfortable talking about on stage is that I've been brought up in um, to kind of get on with things and don't moan and the best thing to do is to just keep on with your life and don't stop and feel sorry for yourself and that has served me very well always um, I don't know if it's to do with methodism <laughs> or to do with just having a very like uh, my mum um, is incredibly good at just getting on with things she's had a lot of incredibly difficult things happen with her life and she's had to get on with them and she's chosen to and she's brought me up to do that and that has served me really well but it makes me very aware that there are people with much worse problems and all I had was um a breakup after like you know three and a half years um it's not a divorce there's no children involved and all I got was very very sad and it's not as bad as people with depression but but it was it was the saddest time it was probably the saddest time that I've had in my life so that's all I like you say that's all I can talk about and so it took me longer than I expected to um feel good again so for the first sort of four months certainly of doing that show um yeah it it felt like I was still experiencing it and going through it there's there's one song in it that's very much about the breakup that the first few times I sang it I had to try not (laughs) break (laughs) Um, because it's not a funny song (laughs) (laughs) Um, and but I think by I think by the end of Edinburgh it it I don't think it's too I don't think the show was like especially therapeutic I think it's just time passed enough time had elapsed that I was kind of getting through it and getting on with life um yeah but that that is the song that I broke at (laughs) the first few months which which one which song it's a song called because and it's about uh when you break up with someone even though you still love them and even though you still love each other and that love isn't enough and there's being a grown-up and realizing that there's bigger things which is hard um Tell me about Methodism. Are you a Methodist or are you from a Methodist family? Um, kind and what, of neither. And what does it mean? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about uh, Methodism. So uh, my mum's a Methodist. I should have said this might be one of the... My mum is... My mum and dad have basically forbidden me from talking about them. <laughs> They're really into their privacy on stage or on this. So oh, okay. I might come back to you about this. But, um, okay, sure. Uh, but yeah, I was, brought up, I was brought up Methodist, christened in the Methodist church. And uh, so my mum's Methodist and my dad is but my mum more i think and they're both very involved with the church and uh uh, and i was the organist for our church growing up from the age of like 12 i was like this little sort of prodigy child playing the church organ on the circuit um but then quite soon like sort of 15 16 i didn't i never really believed in it and they never they never pushed me about it. I remember I went on like one of those young alpha courses, um, which was just really fun. Mainly, just had a lot of fun, and, and I enjoy. I've always enjoyed talking about 
these things about religion and about you know sort of like spiritual matters and things like that and i'm interested in it so i enjoyed the alpha course <laughs> to be honest but at the end most people sort of got confirmed that was kind of the point it was leading up to confirmation and i was like oh no <laughs> no thank you no I, if, if anything <laughs> i definitely now don't want to <laughs> yes do you want to be religious no no i i, I enjoy the, i enjoy the church um not the horrible bits, but not anything to do with like sh- shit beliefs. I'm going to say shit beliefs about like, you know, homophobia or like what I think of, you know, I don't agree with like no sex before marriage or anything like that. But I've been in it a lot. Like I, I was brought up in the church and <laughs> I was the organist. I was also in a Christian rock band. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? Let's, let, 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 I was um, on keys and vocals. <laughs> what was the name of the Christian didn't, rock band? Didn't really. Have, I think it was called like I can't remember. Like Bethel Sing. It was. It wasn't a very good name. Okay. Um, but we, we were good. And um, and then I went to uni and I sang in like medieval choirs and in the church choirs in in Oxford and so beautiful old you know ancient ancient buildings candlelit services and the music that we were singing like sort of stuff like bird and talus is like I loved it I loved singing it I loved being a part of it and then I had a job as a choral singer after I graduated um, I was working in like I was trying to save money to go to drama school so I was like working in a music shop and cocktail waitress but I also had a job doing choral singing um at this church in oxford and they gave you cheap rent for it and i really enjoyed that as well like the the aspects of it it was again a different kind of music that i was singing um and they had recitals in the church and it was it was a nice thing it's just a nice thing to do on a sunday and i never haven't believed in (laughs) all of the tenets of it but i think having somewhere to go and sit and reflect and listen to beautiful music is a good thing i've always thought that and i and so i still i feel very comfortable in churches but i can't pretend that i believe in a lot of the jesus stuff yeah, i can't believe in a lot of the yeah. jesus yeah it's interesting i sometimes th- the reason i ask is i i sometimes think i would like to be religious yeah i don't i don't believe um, so that rules me out. Yeah. But, uh, I do think a lot of the software seems quite successful software. It yeah. seems like being into NLP or something. You sort of go, yep, got a got a friend, someone's got my back, got a thing I can confess to. Exactly. Got a in an afterlife. Oh, these things are brilliant. Do you, were you, were you brought up at all with religion? No, not, re- not parentally. The school I went to for most of my childhood yeah. had kind of chapel twice a week. And yeah. I, just, I hated the school and so I resented the... Oh, uh, yeah. The I still find myself in in times of either like great happiness or great sadness. Still, even though I, kn- I know I don't believe in it, but I still throw out something, a little... We could say prayer, but I feel like the word prayer is so much attached to like you know this very specific figurehead but I, I i send something up into the sky and as i'm doing it i sort of say the words in my head and it must be it must be like muscle memory from growing up with it but i say the words in my head i go i know i don't believe and i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but but if you do exist you know help or or thanks and presumably know. I don't think it's unfair to think that if you do exist you'll forgive me you'll forgive me kind of, yeah angle, right? I sort of send up a little like no offence <laughs> 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 no offence God <laughs> <laughs> 
and it's weird that I still do that it's not often it's just like you know certain times when it strikes you yes mm, weird that's interesting that's not something we've really talked about on the podcast before I suppose I have um, like I, I'm really I, I suppose it makes me a humanist but I don't really understand what any of the terms are no I, I'm not clear I sort of think that I find all of the kind of glee and joy from humans from stuff that's definitely yeah. demonstrably here but having said that, I do think there's a, a benefit to ritual. And I don't yeah. really have a lot of rituals in my life. Kind of gigging is probably as much as, yeah. oh God, maybe I'm, maybe I'm religiously addicted yeah. to stand-up because there's a ritual and I get to confess. Yeah. Oh God, this is awful. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Apparently, um, I heard that like um, Evensong services in universities around the country are finding their attendance like doubling in the last few years and i don't think it's because more people are actually believe in that religion and um, whether it's like you know high church or c of e or whatever but i think it's just you know in this time of like turmoil and you know, the world is changing and it's a bit scary i think it's nice to have some somewhere to find like solace and peace and there aren't actually that many places um apart from the church where you can find that which is a shame. <laughs> so did you grow up with brothers and sisters? Uh, yes, um, I grew up, well, in the house was um, like two older brothers. So um, Matthew, who's quite a bit older than me, is like 14 years older than me. And uh, my brother Preston, who's five years older than me, the one who's had a baby who I talked about. Uh, in the, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> in the, yeah, in the show. So yeah, um, older brothers. And then I've got halves as well, who are older than me. Okie dokie. So your parents were religious? Yes. Um, I should just say, so I, I feel like I can't really, I can't talk too much about my parents. They've, I'm sort of not allowed. Okay. <laughs> they've got, a, I think it's fair to say that they've got a um, very strict sense of privacy, um, which I can understand. And like, they're not really uh, on the, inter like, you know, they're certainly not on God, Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. And um uh, my dad still doesn't have like a mobile phone or anything and uh, they've got they've got a real sense of sort of their own space and of well just pri privacy really but I I certainly I know that they've made it very clear that they they don't want to be a part of my material okay which is totally fair enough but I, I find that I find that quite difficult sometimes because I really because they're fascinating I think they're fascinating and they're everything that parents are they're wonderful and they're difficult and um there's a lot to say there and we're very we're very politically different wildly politically different and so there's so much i want to talk about in my comedy um that i don't think they'd find offensive but um i sort of i feel like i can't well i know i know that i can't because i don't want to upset them mm. that's really uh, that's really interesting i i think um I have never done any jokes about my mum. Mm. Never done any jokes about my mum. And is that because it hasn't come up or because you don't do... I don't want to upset her. Yeah. <laughs> and I also think that um, the... the, I mean, we do jokes about things that bother us, right? Yeah. And for me, increasingly. Yeah. And so I've done... In the early days, I had a lot of jokes about my dad. because Not because my dad bothered me. Because it was just easy to make fun of him. Because he had funny dad things he yeah. did. And he was like, he's a guy like me. And, you know, he, maybe I'll turn into him. All that kind of area. Yeah. But they weren't sort of difficulties. They were me sort of celebrating him. And um, as much as I might also celebrate my mum, like, sh she has a... a 
we've got a slightly complicated relationship to her watching my stand-up. And I think that is because she worries that she will be offended. Yeah, and I think I accidentally gave her reason to think that she would, and so but there was a, there was a misunderstanding years ago, which has ended with her, or not ended, but the current situation is that she hasn't seen me do stand up, and that's always yeah. been a real bugbear of mine, and um, and I think it's partly to do with that. I feel like I don't want to do any jokes about my mum in case it gets back to her, mm-hmm. but and it, it could conceivably, but it's also because I don't feel licensed to make jokes about my mum so I don't feel creatively flowy about it because every time I think about a funny thing she might have done or said I think oh well I don't want to offend her and it kind of freezes up the creative muscle totally yeah that's how I feel I don't I don't have license to talk about them and I that isn't me being paranoid (laughs) (laughs) they 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 have literally they have withheld the license um which is which is a shame because a lot of, you know what, a lot of the things I would want to say are just like quirky things that they do, um, but I think it is it's what you said about it depends their relationship with your stand up like you say your mum hasn't seen you do stand up like they they've been like incredibly supportive especially considering I think really they don't really understand why I'm doing it I do sometimes wonder if um, if I'm doing the right thing all the time. Must be nice to have options. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, but what I remind myself is when people say, why did you do comedy? I do comedy because that's the first thing that I did well at. Like from the very first gig, people said yes to it. Like there was a woman in the audience who said, oh, I'm from Funny Women. You should enter Funny Women. From the next gig, I went on another gig, you know, and then I got an agent. Quite, And I'd been doing piano and I'd been doing acting and I'd been doing improv and like comedy... <laughs> It seems like I had options, but none of the other options. I tried other options, and this is the option that um, it said yes to me straight away, and that's why I've carried on doing it. Um, but you still, yeah, I still have times when I'm like, I hope, I hope I made the right. I hope, I hope that was the right call. I don't. I'm not very funny in real life, <laughs> really. I'm not. I'm quite a sort of serious serious person I, I'm not someone who's like really confident and sort of the life of the party I wasn't the um, class clown at school or anything um, if anything I can be um, pretty boring and so I quite often think you know there's some people who are like a natural comedian like they're just they're funny all the time and um, oh, who's like a perfect example um, so you, not so you think you're funny um, show, show me, me funny. the funny Patrick Monaghan Patrick Monaghan I can't I, I was thinking throughout that hot I was thinking like Patrick Monaghan I thought no don't say that let Rachel come to her own yeah, yeah I think Patrick is one of those people who is just born to be a comedian like he's just he's so funny on and off stage and when he's on stage he's just completely himself and the audience love him and he just chats to people and he doesn't he doesn't even need to have material he just makes people laugh and I like I'm so not like that you know I have my material that I do on stage and so it does make you question like I I wasn't born to be a comedian in the way that some people were and so you're constantly like am I doing the right thing with my career yes there must be a certain comfort in thinking well that was a bad gig but I am unshaken in my belief (laughs) in what I should be doing exactly so do bad gigs shake you yeah yeah all the time like a bad a bad gig doesn't make me think oh you know is that material is that material working it makes me think you shouldn't be a comedian 
you've made the wrong choice you've made the wrong choice oh, you poor bastard I've been through a lot of that I, I mean I'm pleased I, I'm sure neither of us have that many bad gigs anymore yeah just stress that yeah but um but it but, just takes one it just takes one in one in like a f- you know a few months period and you just have one you're like if I if this was the right thing <laughs> if you were a real comedian you couldn't have that bad a gig like you'd know how to rescue it and I just think you've got to give this up <laughs> you must know as well on some level that everyone goes through that yeah, they, yeah, they do, so and they now, talk about it. A good it. gig earlier today in the bank. Yeah, you must be aware that that is just illogical. Was that a good gig? Did you think it went well? Yes. Oh, okay. Are you yeah. going to ask me for jokes, or was that a different question? <laughs> no, <laughs> I genuinely can't tell. Well, it was hard to tell it with was, that one because I mean, there's was a babies everywhere. It was, it was an out of the world gig. It was yeah, a different sort of a thing. Um, but do you know what I mean? Like sometimes, that, like when I'm feeling like, hey, everything's everything's working, so much more easy to think. God, isn't it weird how sometimes I get all blue, <laughs> and then the <laughs> yeah. next time you're depressed or the, you know whatever the word is yeah then you're like oh this is the real me yes this is the real version yeah and you think god amazing that i can pull it off how, how do i sometimes for a lot of the time myself into thinking i'm happy <laughs> yeah yeah, right. yeah it's amazing how i can take people in like you know 90 percent of the time <laughs> this facade is like incredible but yeah. <laughs> but actually i am is, shit at comedy <laughs> isn't that interesting that's almost an autobiography an autobiography title is like my facade is rock solid yeah <laughs> Maybe it's not a facade, maybe you are just yeah. good. So, one of your songs is, um, uh, I forget which one is it in. It's about Don't Trust a Singer, We Don't Know a Thing About Your Life. Oh, that's from Live in Vegas, my difficult second album. Go on. Well, that's interesting because I listened to some of it on Bandcamp. I didn't see the show, but... Uh, well, I think it's because it's it was a character show. Um, it, it translates less well to recordings without the stage stuff you know all the songs are completely imbued in the act that i do on stage oh i, well, I would have said just li- having listened to a few of them i was like oh, i completely get what oh good is coming from. oh that's yeah, yeah. good that's I, good i felt that's like good. oh great i've dodged a bullet yeah. Didn't oh, okay. the <laughs> um yeah that show was uh, me uh trying to do character stuff um and i say that as though i, I very much thought of that show as a failure um for a long time and I, I didn't do Edinburgh the year afterwards because I just felt I was, it was a difficult Edinburgh um, just not many people and not great reviews and um, I just found it quite hard and it transpires I think I'm much more comfortable being myself on stage but you know you can only write what you've got in your head at the time and all I had that year I'd done my first solo show the year before I'd used up all the material I'd been gigging for three years and then all I had was this character called Felice who's like a Las Vegas lounge singer who's incredibly full of her own um full of herself um and really really outlandishly um egotistical who sings like yeah don't take my advice and then I gave her I'm amazing because it suited her so well okay so I had that idea and then I fleshed it out with some other characters as well um, so yeah but I, I, I sort of the show the show got better I rewrote it when I did it at the Soho Theatre and uh, did a better character than one of them but um, were you up at the festival being aware that you were having a bad one yeah how did that feel? Because I've, I've been through that in 2011. I really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's you you don't notice, yeah. do you? You yeah. don't notice. Huge, huge deal to you at the yeah. time. Afterwards, make more stuff, do no more things. Knows. No, no one, one knows. No one knows. Like people, people would say to you like, oh, you know, you're, I saw, you saw you in Edinburgh, you got great reviews. And I was like, and you just go, okay, no, I yeah. didn't, but I'm glad you think I Takes, did. It took me a long time to, <laughs> to stop saying, no, no, no. No, I didn't. No, no. Let me explain why it was so bad and why I'm cast, still <laughs> castigating myself. Yeah. I have learned that to just go, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, 
uh, I did. Yeah, it felt horrible. It felt horrible. And every other Edinburgh, so I've been doing Edinburgh for like uh, ten years, and with before I was doing solo shows, you know, I did like all the two handers and I did acting and improv and all sorts of things. And that was the first Edinburgh where I I I, I cried like several times and. Um, with a character show, the one I'd written, um, I went and get, got changed quickly behind a screen that was on stage. And in the last few days, I hated the show so much. I was so sick of it and I was convinced everyone hated it. And that, that if I stopped the show, the audience would be glad to go home. And every time I went behind that screen, I was just thinking, I don't want to go back out. <laughs> Please don't make me go back out. And how great it would be if I could just stay here and the audience would just leave. <laughs> I hate. I had. I had. I really didn't enjoy it. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I could really see where that story was going. I've never had a a show where, like, a stand up show where there's the opportunity to go off stage to hide. And sometimes I think that's a good thing. It's yeah, a good the idea thing. of just leaving and going. <sighs> yeah, having a break, having a little moment to like reflect on the pain of the last five minutes and to think about what you're about to do and go on with your last character. How did you, how did you from where did you summon up the let's get through this? Did you, was it just that, torture or did you find No, a way I just to got on, it? I just got over myself. You know, it's horrible and you know it's going to end. And uh, some people did actually enjoy the show. In fact, some people think it was a good show, but. Um, I I didn't it didn't feel like me didn't feel comfortable and uh, there were enough people who didn't get it it was it was a strange show because it was it, it looked from all the branding like it was a sort of glitzy genuine glitzy cabaret sort of show um, about Las Vegas whereas in fact what it was was kind of like a satire on American society yeah so if people <laughs> um, came there expecting tits and teeth and they did not get that yeah, yeah 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 um, so uh, I just got on I just got on with it I'm not really I, I don't go and you know cry in a corner I just sort of get on with things so I just got on with it but I was not I was sad <laughs> when did you start doing ostentatious in um about five and a half years ago so okay. 2012 12 I don't know a huge amount about ostentatious I have never seen it because I've and this is a guilty secret you've escaped I've it I've always <laughs> felt like it wasn't aimed at me because I don't think I'd understand oh, any no, Jane Austen you don't need to those. you don't need to that's your first mistake <laughs> um, I mean god it lends itself to a good picture it's doesn't not, it it's yeah, not yeah, <laughs> well, what it, a team it's not we get that a lot like um, we get well, it's changed now because I think more people know what it's about. But like, uh, we used to get a lot of like men dragged along by their girlfriends reluctantly, and then they'd come out and be like, "Oh fuck, I thought that was going to be for women and girly," and it's it's not. It's very you don't have to know anything about Jane Austen, um, and it's not you know sort of feminine. It's it's very is irreverent. It an improv show with hats. It's an, yeah, sort of. So there are Jane Austen references for people who know about Jane Austen. So we give them little like Easter eggs. Is that the phrase? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you don't know anything about Jane Austen, I think the you're phrase, just... if, if the show is called Ostentatious, I don't think they're Easter eggs. I think they're content. Content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we do, th I think it's, it's fine for everyone, but it really, it really doesn't matter. And we get, we get children coming and we get 90 year olds coming and it, it, it also like, interestingly, even though as a group, we're pretty left wing, um, almost entirely um we've it sort of appeals to like um across the sort of political spectrum interestingly which is something we didn't think about that's interesting so you chuck in a little uh ukip joke yeah and it gets a funny reaction yeah because in the show um we we get the audience to suggest the title 
so the title of the show that we do is picked out of a hat at random from ones that they've put in before the show starts so like for example when brexit happened for like months around brexit everyone was suggesting like uh, brexit and darcy or the 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 brexit affair and so we ended up doing lots of shows about trump about brexit about clinton um and we'd be doing it all a lot of the time from like just sort of subconsciously because obviously you can't plan what story you're going to do but just subconsciously your liberalism weeps out of you so we'd end up with like sort of probably a sort of slightly liberal message and you can tell it depends because we play like a lot of you know little sort of home counties theatres which might be a bit more right wing than we are and they'd just they'd still enjoy it and sometimes it slips through unnoticed but sometimes there's a bit of a hmm well I'm not sure I agree with you but it's very funny yes I like the hat I like the hat (laughs) so are you one of the core members yeah so who is you and Carrie Ed and Um, Andrew there really were there was sort of like the very very first few days it was sort of me and Amy Cook Hodgson who sort of thought it up oh I didn't realise that Um, yeah uh, the idea to do a, a... I'm just naming my friends there in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a sort of Austin-style um, show or a sort of like narrative of like, based on an author. Um, and then, yeah, we all, the six of us were together within like uh, a few weeks. So that was Carrie Ad, Lloyd, Joseph Morpurgo, Graham Dixon, Amy Cook Hodgson, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and me, you is that six? six? Yeah. And then Charlotte Gittins joined... Um, like a couple of years later and now I've got Daniel Roberts um, so there's eight of us now but it was when it was the six of us uh, that we came up with like the name and the, and the proper format and everything and it's always been like very co-op very um, democratic in the way we run it um, and it, oh, it's been crazy like we just started it like the way a lot of it most improv as you know like you don't expect people to pay for it you don't even expect people to come um, and we were just doing it in a pub to 15 people um and it's it just straight away people wanted to come and see it like immediately before it was even a thing so like we started out in a 15 seater and that sold out because it's 15 seats and then we moved to like a 60 seater and that sold out and then we moved to a 100 seater and that's this is before we went like because we were going for about a year and a half before we did our first edinburgh and we moved to like bigger venue and bigger venue in london we were doing it about fortnightly um and it just kept it, it it was crazy like it just kept showing its popularity um and now you know like a few years ago when it became like a company you know with dividends and vat <laughs> about which we know nothing about none of us know about these things and we've had to learn how to run a business and it's a huge so how often do you do it now how often does it now it's back? it's once a month in london in what size venue uh 400 seater leicester square yeah okay um and we t- take on a national tour every year so the last one was about 25 dates or something and then we do little literary festivals as well around the country so god and you don't have to write it you don't have to write and it you can take the same show every year because it's <laughs> yeah. not the same show every it's year. not the same show yeah yeah but it's a lot we, none of us like foresaw that coming that the idea of having to the business side of things of having to run something it's wonderful and we're so grateful for it but the amount of admin but but my point is we run it all ourselves we each take the same amount of work of admin we haven't got an agent you know we we just sort of like we do it all ourselves and every decision that is made about the show 
we vote on and we decide. Surely one of you has a louder voice or more of a... The, w- the women are louder. <laughs> the, <laughs> okay. women are, the, w- the women are probably uh, sort of a bit more uh, vocal, I think, um, in terms of how it's run. But, but the, I think that's, that's just our personalities. But um, no, it really, is, it really is equal. Like, even if one of us is like, I think we should do it this way, it's, we talk about it and we make sure everyone's on board. And is there, presumably at festivals, there is a knock-on effect whereby you can exit fly off your own shows? You would think, I think it helps, but okay. I, I know, I really wish that was the case. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> but actually, unless it's, um, unless your solo show is quite related to improv or Jane Austen, yes. it doesn't really translate that much. And sometimes people come to my shows, if they do, it's sometimes bad because they buy a ticket based on ostentatious and they're like, why is this girl saying fuck? Why is <laughs> yeah. she talking about the Samaritans? <laughs> So what are you... Now, I know comparatively little about Im- impro or improv, as Either. we're all calling it nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> so did you train in that? Yes. Yes. And what was the most useful thing that you gleaned from your training? Because I imagine improv training can be done well and not so well. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I probably had a less... I don't know, maybe less formal training than some people. Um, so I learned with the Oxford Imps, which is a short form improv group in Oxford. Um, it's sort of a student group, but sort of not. Like I wasn't a student when I was in it. I just lived in Oxford. Ditto, Amy. Um, and they they just pass it on year after year from the people. So like someone's been in the group three years, they teach the first people. Okay. So I'm not learning from like, you know a 45 year old master of improv I'm learning from a student but they were the great teachers and they knew what they were talking about and all the things that I learned in the Oxford Imps in my training so they trained you for like a term and then you, you perform from then on and all the things I learned there I didn't I've, I've then gone on to do classes with like you know Chicago teachers and with um crunchy frog and with like monkey toast we've got these inane names and the fa uh so the fa has like got teachers from ucb and from the groundlings and i've I've taken all courses and the message is the same you know my training was a good training um the thing that i learned there's so much to learn (laughs) a lot of people would want to do (laughs) i had a comedian who shall remain nameless the other day being like hey i really want to do improv um but i don't want to i don't want to go to any classes or or anything can i just join a group and do it and i was like no (laughs) it's hard um it's not for everyone and you need to you like any skill you need to practice and learn how to do it and there's lessons and there's rules and there's a lot to learn about how to do good improv on stage um what was the best thing that I learned? There's so many. I suppose for me, it depends on your personality. For me, um, people think the hardest thing is thinking up what to say. What about if your mind goes empty? But actually, it's it's often the opposite. It's that you've got too many ideas and you don't know which one to choose. And they might not match with the person who's on stage with you. So for me, the best lesson is let your shit go. Um it's that you might have what you think is the most fantastic comedic line or idea or in the case of ostentatious you've solved the plot you know because we're weaving hopefully quite a complex interesting plot as we go along 
and you're like oh I've got it so if she is actually being unfaithful to this man and then he's gone to war and she didn't die after all then we can get married at the end and it'll be delightful and you've got this in your head and someone comes and stamps all over it you just have to let that happen (laughs) you just have to let it happen and embrace it and say yes and go oh yes my brother is back from the dead with a baby that I gave birth to six months ago. (laughs) Okay, okay. And conversely, what is the least useful thing you've learned? Have you ever sort of felt, oh, I'm I'm being taught something I don't agree with there? Because Um, I would imagine when everyone has an opinion, everyone is sort of constantly training and teaching and learning together. Is is there room for that to go wrong? Is there room for... The, the thing that I found interesting taking classes now, and I've been, I've been doing it for 10 years, and so it's really interesting to take courses that have different ideas about how to do different kinds of improv. And I wouldn't say that I haven't been taught anything that's wrong, but I've been taught things that I don't, it's not how I like to do it personally. And uh, I've been taught uh, quite an American style, which is that you come on with the idea of what the game of the scene is is going to be okay. you you sort of like you only come on if you have a clear idea of what is going to happen of what you're trying to give to your partner and i that's not for me i really like the idea that you you both come on with nothing and you build it together and for me that's true improv and i think it's the other think, one is sort of feels a bit more like it's having a clever idea kind of and then starting to improvise yeah, yeah but i know they think that um that makes for better improv it's more dynamic and um it's kinder to your partner because you're giving them something but i i really like the things that come out of absolutely nothing you both come in some of the funniest things we've done in ostentatious have been from two people coming on stage and just they're so nervous about the like not nervous but they have absolutely shit all in their head and they find the scene from the angle of someone's wrist or from the expression on someone's face um and that's what i love about it sees that happen they see it happening yeah they know that they've got nothing (laughs) and they see them find it and that's that's my favorite thing in improv is when you've got absolutely nothing the audience knows it and you find it so what are you lacking in your stand-up practice that you would like to have? How to narrow it down. Um, <laughs> um, I, so, um, compare skills. I don't feel at all confident in comparing. Odd for an improviser? Yeah, it doesn't... That, well, that's... A, I don't find that it translates that well, okay. really, for me. Um I just confidence just confidence like like I say like when I'm singing and when I'm at the piano with a song I feel completely comfortable and confident and when I'm standing with a mic just sort of talking um I I I would never get that level of confidence apart from the odd gig like I had one gig at Christmas at always be comedy it's always always be comedy isn't it it's always a lovely gig that um, I was headlining, which already I think someone's given you a sense of confidence by putting you on as a headliner. Yep. And and I I wasn't all doing material. I was just kind of, I was improvising and uh, just making jokes about what was happening in the ether and I was chatting to the audience and I, and I was in that free flow state that I, it feels like other comedians get more often. And I that was one of those gigs where you're like, oh, I'm doing the right thing. Oh, I, I, I am a comedian. <laughs> and it just comes from confidence. And um, 
and I felt like a rock star. And if I could, if I could just have that level of confidence to just, you know, go into other plate, not to rely completely on all my material and to just sort of chat and be free and let what comes into your head come into your head. And the bits that they were laughing at was not my prepared material. It was the stuff that was coming off the top of my head. But it just, it just takes more confidence than I've got at the moment. And what does it satisfy in you, in your personality, when it works? I, well, <laughs> even even though I say like I'm not uh, uh, like a sort of um, outgoing, sort of like funny, loud person, I think I am a show off. I am a bit of a show off, really. And I've always I've always enjoyed performing. Like even from when I started learning piano when I was really tiny, and in school plays, even when I was five in the school play. I loved it. I love being on stage. So I think stand-up's just, it's a part of that. But it's all mine. <laughs> I think that's what I like about it, is that you have, like, shit years, like the Live in Vegas year, where I felt like shit, but I owned it. Like, it was my shit, and like, it was my fault. <laughs> and at least I got to sort of wallow in it. And, it, and there was no <laughs> that, one else to blame. That is an incredible potential opening line. <laughs> this is all my fault. It's all my fault. Um... But there's a satisfaction in in owning your shit and there's a satisfaction in owning the good bits as well. And so as someone who definitely, um, even when I say, well, I don't think I was born to be a comedian. I do think I, I love being on stage. I love being on stage, whether it's acting or music or singing or comedy. I love people watching me perform. Um, and so if you're doing stand-up, or solo comedy or whatever it is like having that experience that you get from any stage performing but it's all yours that's what I like about it so do you think you're running towards something rather than running away from something as a comic um I don't know what you mean uh, I'm applying a completely arbitrary rule that I've decided <laughs> I, 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 I tend to think that most comics are either running towards or away from yeah I think I'm I think I'm running towards I don't know. I have I've never you know people say like what do you want to do? What's the end game? And I haven't really got an end game. Um I just know that I like performing and I'm getting better at it. All the different like all of the different forms of performing I'm getting better at the more I do them. So um yeah, I haven't got like it's not like I've got one overarching ambition that I want to hit. But I I definitely want to keep doing what I'm doing and which other comedian or performer would it be most narratively satisfying if they killed you <laughs> ooh you, so like that it would make a really good story yeah mm. like maybe like um another musical comedian <laughs> that'd be quite good have you got anyone in mind well I've known Carly Smallman a long time uh, the longest for the longest time in comedy um, so like some or Helen Arney <laughs> me and Helen Arney used to be in like a group together called the Balconettes oh so, wow okay yeah I've heard that name yeah, somehow yeah. yeah Daniel Ward was in it as well um, and so uh, there might be a sort of like uh, wonderful poetry <laughs> if Helen Arney killed me as well because she's so delightful her and Connie Smallman the two most delightful people <laughs> just be surprising and finally then what would you have and you can interpret this however you like yeah. what would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone my comedy gravestone oh god um <laughs> i know what i'd have i'd have the most 
infuriating comment that a musical comedian can ever receive after a gig, which I now have just come to enjoy because of its cliche quality, which is, you've got a lovely voice. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. So that was Rachel. Remember, her show is on at the Soho Theatre. Best laid plans. You can get along and see that soon. That's uh, on the 6th to the 8th of March. Uh, and you can find out all of your tour information on my solo stand-up show from comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. The discount code for all, the all I think, all but one or two of those venues uh, is VERA, in capital letters, V-E-R-A. That gets you a, a healthy discount off your ticket price. And that code also works at Soho Theatre if you fancy coming to see Paul Chowdhury on the 20th of February. That's all of the advertising thanks to everybody thanks daryl for your help uh, in in editing the show thank you to matt hoss uh livy and emily and uh, I, I don't know why i dignified matt with us i just gave matt his surname and not anyone else there livy phipps and emily crosby i very much appreciate their logging help um exciting news about merch opportunities coming up soon oh my god i've started working with a really exciting designer and i'll tell you all about those could be a new t-shirt could be a special little uh, extra thing as well um so that's all to come hope to see you at the tour if you are coming to the tour remember I'm going to do some little uh, Q&A's afterwards in the second half I'll do a bit of new material uh, get some feedback from you on that and then uh, I'll do some little off the record Q&A's about the podcast like we did last time that was tremendous fun so if you are coming to the live show stick around come and say hi and uh, I'll see if my guess is as I look out into the crowd at the beginning of the show as to which ones of you are podcast fans are correct when I meet you afterwards. So uh, thanks a lot. I will chat to you if you'd like to stick around for the post-amble, but otherwise, that concludes this episode. Cheerio. (laughs) So, here I am in my little car, with the rain beating down. It feels quite, uh, it feels quite exciting. It feels quite, um mythic somehow i mean i am next to a, an a road <laughs> i don't know how archetypal that feels i'm on the road man i'm on tour it's really exciting i hoovered my car a couple of days ago that was uh that was a little pre <laughs> pre-tour ritual perhaps um and now the tour has started i i i listened back you know i said earlier on i revised the show as i was driving and listening i've been doing lots of revision i've got these these two top secret big old guests both with huge back catalogues of stuff so i've been trying to write my own stuff prep the tour and research them and i was listening to to the recording of compared to what my my edinburgh show from last edinburgh and uh bits of it really made me laugh i mean is that is that good is that alarmingly self-indulgent there were some bits obviously i'm very very familiar with because they've morphed into my club set and some other bits i'd sort of if not forgotten there were certain ways i was performing them that made me giggle something very funny happened in the room and i listened to it and surprised myself with what i'd improvised jesus how self-indulgent can you get but i you know the stuff's making me laugh out loud and maybe at the end of the day that's what you have to do if you can write a joke and then forget it rediscover it and it makes you laugh that's got to be the sign of something good or bad who can say so i was listening to it and at the end of that um at the end of the recording i was so elated i was like god i love this show i love the end of it i love the 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 way the the resolution of the show i love what it says the stuff that's about the boutros and i i'm really i'm really made up with it i'm looking back on the content of it now and going yes that is how i felt and that is what happened and that's very very exciting 
And then I listened to a little bit of it again today, and I suddenly thought, God, I wonder if anyone's going to be at that gig. And I started to get all nervous. And uh, some of these venues have sold really, really well. Even Pool, much maligned Pool. I mentioned last week we'd not sold that many. Pool, even Pool, where I have never done a tour show before, is on 29 tickets. That's a gig. And maybe a bit of walk-up. We might hear 40. Good for you, Pool. I'm sorry I ever doubted you. So the the tour is ahead of me, and this is me... uh, uh, kicking it off and uh it's, it's a nice it's going to be a nice full room in in south end as i mentioned i'm going to do the show straight through wallop and then in the second half some some newer stuff i've not really that's what i should go and do now rather than chat to you at length i should go and assemble that so that i can make the most of the uh, the second half but i'm just very very grateful of my lot i tell you what's interesting these these two huge guests sorry to keep dangling these in front of you um, one of them is not entirely cleared for official release. The other one, it's such a big deal to me that I want to make sure it's in the can before I tell anyone. Um, both of them, I've been, you know, watching perform incredible comedy, often to huge rooms of people, DVDs and so forth, to, you know, massive gigs. And, uh, and I've really been delighting in that thing that I mention all the time and who knows to whom it can be attributed. That idea of a gig being of like the best moment of a comic's life being trying new stuff in front of a crowd and having it work that moment being the same for me as it is for louis ck not one of my big two guests just at this stage as it is for any of us so it's been really interesting watching massively famous successful people on on uh, dvd this week and really submerging myself in that spotting the tropes trying to get to grips with analyzing their style the decisions they're making the things they're relying on the things that they that they maybe could rely on in a different way um you know what the things they're doing the things they're not doing and feeling that i'm part of that in in whatever small and you know i'm not gonna say small and humble i'm you you know Stu, we've got i've got to try to not be too self-deprecating but at the end of the day this tour isn't me playing five thousand seat venues, right so we can all accept that but i'm still part of it and everyone that emails me i'm such a lovely i ran into someone today who whose name i won't say because i i haven't sort of checked with him but um he's out there and he'll know who this is uh i ran into someone who's on his like sixth gig and he started he did a comedy course because he wanted to uh do a best man speech and not be nervous so he was like oh i'm really terrified of speaking in public and i've got to be funny i'll do a comedy course and now he's six gigs in how exciting is that this is my point that guy me ck or rock or whoever it is that moment of taking the plunge and walking out there it's the same, the same sensual experience, that's the same moment, and that really makes me feel connected to something. So for all of you who, and I think the list now is, we're in the high 40s, people who got in touch with me and said that this show has given you any kind of a nudge or a little push to get out there and try it, um, I just wanted to remind you people of that in particular, and, uh, and anyone else who's considering doing it, go on. Go on, just jump, just jump in. It's bloody great. Even when it's awful, it's great. Even when <laughs> that's how you can tell a comedian. Who said that? Someone, some famous comic said, uh, you can tell a comedian because they go out, they die on their ass, they come off and they go, let me back up there. And that's really magical. So with that thought in mind, I can't go off to this show now with the, <laughs> with the, with the spectre of, uh, of someone dying on their ass and not minding clanging in my ears. Let's instead remember uh, a little positive thing before I, before I leave you. I mean, it is, I know that's broadly positive, but I've got to have a bit more spring in my step. Did I ever tell you about Senmaru? Did I tell you? 
if I did and it's on like new episode 120 or something then um then forgive me for saying this again but I've been it's been in my mind because I've been saying it to the Boutros he's been learning to climb stairs and uh so I've been repeating a version of this to him. This is a thing that I used to say to myself way back in 2010 before I would go on stage every night doing my first ever hour of stand-up. I've bastardised... I'll tell you the thing I've bastardised. I'm sorry if you've heard this before, if you're listening back to episodes, you've heard it recently, maybe. Senmaru is a Japanese juggler. He does old-school Japanese uh, circus tricks. Really beautiful, balancing a teapot on a mouth stick, uh, making a, 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 a little silver metal ring dance on a parasol beautiful beautiful things and one of his lines which i would just loved he would do a trick and then he would go this next trick and he he speaks in a sort of i don't know how much english he has he obviously learned his show i think he has a little bit of english i will try not to be offensive in my representation of how he speaks but he says this next trick very difficult very hard almost impossible and he looks the audience in the eye and he says but I am Senmaru, 39, single. If I try, I can do. And I just, the narrative of this guy's act is wonderful, and you're just completely behind him. And I used to say that to myself very hard, to write a show, to write an hour of stand-up comedy very hard. This was, you know, maybe less so now, but certainly in those days, I mean, it is still bloody hard, but back then it was like, is this even possible? Very hard to write an hour of stand-up to go through all that thing, to write all the stuff that you then cut, to say what you want to say, to write a novel whilst being punched in the face. That's what it feels like sometimes. Very hard. Almost impossible. But I am Senmaru. 39. Betrothed, in my case. If I try, I can do. And I've been saying this to the Boutros as he climbs the stairs, and he's been happily gurgling away and ignoring me. So... Let me, as I walk out into my... As I cross this, this horrifically rainy, dark A-road, hopefully successfully, uh, and begin this month's tour, which will be the longest tour, including uh, even the UK dates, but certainly including the, the Melbourne dates, it will be the, the longest tour. It's a, akin to another two more Edinburgh festivals. Um, this, is, this is me. Off we go. Very hard. Almost impossible. But if I try, I can do. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.